Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week, we hear from Brian Mondo, who talks about how crypto sits in the world of academics, more alternative use cases for blockchain technology, along with more about Brian himself, a dual qualified barrister, originally from Kenya with deep roots in Trinidad and the current resident of Nottingham. So this week, we have a guest with a lot of accolades, and I'm going to run through them. So number one, he's a dual qualified barrister, an attorney at law, practicing across the Caribbean. Two, he's a PhD student at the University of Nottingham studying the application of blockchain ledgers and smart contracts in enhancing data integrity and transparency in public procurement. Number three, he's the founder of his own blockchain consultancy, blockchainlex.io, offering education and training. Number four, he's an advisor to What the Fi and the Cake Advisories. Number five, co-author of the academic paper, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, The Future of Corporate Governance or an Illusion, which he presented at MIT's Idea Forum on Composable Governance. Six, he he was most recently a panelist at the Fintech Islands Conference discussing the state of financial tech in the Caribbean. And number seven, and most important, all-round good guy, Brian Mondo. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it felt like... uh... I'm in a church service. Accolades, <laughs> <laughs> right? There's a lot going on, and you're a busy man. So, thank you, my brother. So, how did how did we meet? It was it was during COVID, right? It was online, it and is, I mean, how was it? Well, it it was during COVID, and uh, that time everything was online, and uh, you know, through LinkedIn, uh, establishing new contacts, mm. and uh, Ben Appleby from the Cake. That's was it. doing something called crypto regs, uh, like a, a series of, of video casts. And um, we met through a mutual friend, Shannon Isman. Yeah. And uh, Hello, Shannon. And uh, shout out, Shannon. <laughs> and uh, that's how our working relationship began. And uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a long list of accolades right there. So, how did you come to be involved in blockchain? How do you have all the time to do this? Tell me about your background. What, where did the journey start? Right. Um, I'll just start off with my legal aspect of, um, of, of things. So I was doing a PhD literature review uh, around 2017 hmm. into the use of, uh, into how artificial intelligence breaches intellectual property and uh, basically looking at trademarks and copyrights. But then at that time, Ethereum had just, come out mm. and um i was also as i'm a dj <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to put it out there yeah i'm a, I'm a dj so i used to stuff? dj I, I i play house music uh hip-hop r&b i can hold it down on the scratches mate like <laughs> i have to show you this man but i've sent you the videos yeah yeah, yeah? yeah so anyway so um I, I was uh, doing event ticketing using uh, cashless technology. And you know, when Ethereum came about and people are talking uh, smart contracts, yeah. I was keen to see uh, what these smart contracts are. And law firms at the point, at that time, they really didn't understand what smart contracts were per se. And uh, so many law firms were like, you know, smart contracts are going to take away jobs from lawyers mm. and that kind of stuff. So. 
I, I got an interest in blockchain. So I put the artificial intelligence away yeah. and blockchain sounded more fun because it had various use cases. And um, that's when I started uh, doing my research into block uh, in blockchain. So I did um, um, open courses to get um, accredited. And, you know, I, I started conducting my PhD research before I even applied for my PhD uh, in in the use of blockchain ledgers because they're believed to be tamper resistant. Mm -hmm. So in terms of public procurement, what, what sort of um, IT tool would make transparency and data integrity and ease of uh, the the ease of access for the public in terms of um, having open data distributed uh, across various platforms, you know? Yeah. So it, it eliminates the aspect of making freedom of information requests and it, it kind of makes the bidding and evaluation process also transparent. So that's where my interest is and that's where my research lies as well. So that was when you were a barrister already, you'd qualified as a lawyer? So I, I, I qualified as a barrister in England and Wales in 2017. Yep. And at that point I was conducting my research and I, I, I think I'm very academic. <laughs> I think that's from the list of accolades and that's probably correct. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I like using my brain to, um, to understand complex things and try to answer them from a philosophical and theoretic angle. Because I find in our generation, we don't have great, uh, great thinkers per se. So I just want to be amongst the people who are using their brains to bring positive change in the world. So I went to Trinidad yep. because um, as a bar student here, you know, pupillage is a bit... Uh, extremely competitive. It's tough. So I remember doing I, my trading contract, yeah. it was a nightmare. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't want to waste my time in the UK waiting for years and years and years for that elusive uh, pupillage. Mm -hmm. So uh, the chambers that I was um, being mentored at, um, they do lots of Privy Council cases. And, uh, you know, I got the idea that, you know, when you go across to the Caribbean, either Jamaica uh uh, Bahamas or mm -hmm. Trinidad, they have the law schools that you can do a six month conversion and you get into practice faster. So literally my friend and I, uh, uh, he's from my best friend, uh, Johanse, big up Johanse. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he's, he's, uh, he's a practitioner in Barbados. Okay. So we decided, yeah, you know what? We're going to go to Trinidad and do law school literally. And we just, packed our bags and went to Trinidad. From Kenya, right? From No, from Nottingham. Oh, from Nottingham, yes. Yeah. So, okay, you've mentioned Kenya. So I'm a Kenyan by birth. So I um, did uh, my degree in psychology in Kenya, but I always wanted to do law. And that time when I was a DJ in Kenya, you know, contractors were really um, ripping us off. <laughs> You know, especially our intellectual property, you're, you're told, you know, come and pitch for this idea to do this event. It's a branded uh, event, let's say, for particular brand. You know, you give them ideas and they say, oh, sorry, your idea didn't make it. Hmm. But you see another agency um, executing the same idea. So I was like, no, this has to stop. And I'm going to teach myself and become a lawyer. So from psychology, from being a uh, 
professional DJ. I ended up in law school. Yeah. So I did my LLB. Then I did my bar and I did my LLM in intellectual property. So I'm um, specialized in passing off and um, trademarks as well. And that's your area as well. Man. Yeah. 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 yeah so uh, I did that. And um, yeah, I found myself in Trinidad. And uh, during COVID, uh, you know, and before I mention COVID, the, the, um, being a lawyer, the legal uh, arena is, is, is very um, tricky, you know, because in traditional legal practice, you have to be like whiskey. You know, the more years you have, yeah. the more um, experienced people assume you have, you know. So if you have 25 years in practice, people respect you because you've earned your stripes. Mm. So I was like, you know, I'm a smart chap and I need to find a way that I could be good at something that's new and something that's new and people aren't talking about is um, the new internet, Web3, blockchain and smart contracts. And nobody's looking at the um, legal and regulatory aspects of it. So I just started writing, doing MOOCs. I did an MIT uh, open course. Mm. I did a blockchain council open course, Bitcoin association open courses. So I just, uh, and exams as well, assessments. So I ended up being an accredited um, blockchain legal professional in various uh, fields like um, non-fungible tokens, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, decentralized finance, like the whole shebang and uh, blockchain legal. So uh, yeah, and, and that's my journey into uh, blockchain. So, and that's obviously really interesting because it comes from a, a place where um, you've sort of developed your practice in the Caribbean. Right. And there's a lot of movement of, well, there's certainly a lot of cases and there's a lot of interest, especially in um, the sort of tax haven area. But what is the take in the Caribbean? Like, is there room for growth? What's that, what's that area saying about blockchain crypto assets? So the Caribbean is very um, forward thinking. You have very innovative um, startups. You have um, all the... Um, companies actually, uh, the, the big crypto companies, they're all registered in the Caribbean, if you don't know, yeah? Yep. So in the, in the British Virgin Islands, in the Caymans, probably because of um, the favorable tax conditions, mm -hmm. but I'm not saying that with authority. So I don't want to be misquoted. <laughs> this is my own take on that. We have our own disclaimers at the end. Yeah, so, so it's, uh, it's probably because of such things. So the industry is expanding, it's growing, and uh, there's legal cases coming out of it. So um, there was this uh, case called Chainswap, where um, a bridge was hacked and um, people lost funds. And, you know, the, the judge tried, I'm really trying to narrow down the facts because yeah. they're a bit complex, but I'm just trying to narrow it down because probably some of the people listening to the, to this podcast won't be uh, um, legal, uh, you know, they won't have a legal background. Yeah, technical language. Yeah. That, yeah, so let's get away of all the technical stuff. So basically the funds were stolen, the crypto assets were stolen, and they needed to, f to follow the chain and see where the money has moved, the, the tokens where they've been moved to. So um, 
they uh, applied for an injunct a uh, uh, propriety injunction following the case of AA and persons unknown. Yo, big up yourself, man. <laughs> you know this is your case, and yeah. So this is the first case, people, that they recognize Bitcoin as property. So Matt, I'll throw this back to you. In the UK, yeah, there's two classes of uh, properties, yeah? Mm. Which ones are they? Well, there's things that are property and there are things that are as intangible assets and things that are slightly more intangible, like uh, a debt instrument or, or, or something what's called in chose. Yeah, chose in action and yeah. a chose in possession. That's it. Right, so now the law, the, 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 the law commission is trying to bring up a third uh, area for uh, digital properties. And this came about from the AA person's case and the UKJT publication on crypto assets by, is it uh, Sir Godfrey Voss? Voss, yeah, yeah. master of the role. Yeah, yeah, so this came about uh, from that. And so the, the BVI court applied the reasoning uh, or it is assumed that they applied the reasoning in AA and persons unknown and the other cases where, you know, you could get a propriety injunction and freeze some assets. And, you know, uh, the the third parties, the unknown persons, you could use a bunker's trust order to get their identity, you know. So we're having that sort of jurisdiction and... Um, you know we're 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 uh, we're catching up with what's happening in England and Wales and in America and in other countries that are really proactive in the uh, crypto and Web three um, movement right now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously some judgments in England. There's some judgments in the US. I think there's some in Singapore. Yes, uh, generally New Zealand as well. Yeah, lots yeah. of common law jurisdiction cases to say that Bitcoin and other crypto assets are property. Yes, that you can injunct against them. Um, that is the case then in, in the Caribbean as well. Yes. So using the chain swap case as, uh, as, a, as, as a starting point, that's, uh, that's the current position. And I think that's big for the Caribbean because we're now developing our own jurisprudence. And uh, there has been other cases following chain swap. They haven't been as prominent uh, or maybe they haven't received uh, the desired press. But Chainswap is one of those cases that have been cited all over the place. Uh, you and I, we did a, a, a piece on that as well. Yeah. And it was uh, very well received uh, in England and in the islands as well. And I got to speak about the Chainswap case when I did um, a key speaking role in uh, in Barbados last week at Fintech, Fintech Island. Yeah, Fintech yeah. Island. Yeah, and there was, um, it was a melting point of, incredible people from all over the world. Uh, big up Tara Freita for having me. Big up Andrew Morris for having me. <laughs> like, yo, I'm just throwing shouters like I'm on radio, man. Hip hop radio, shout out to everybody. But it's it's about being in a community that people, it's, it's like a tribe mm. where everybody um, extends themselves to assist the other person to understand this new area of law, new area of business. So Barbados was very good. Uh, the prime minister was there. And so basically the key point from that conference is mm. uh, regulation has to be proportionate to risk. And 
that the Caribbean is a premier destination and it's safe for investors from all over the world to come and set up their businesses there. So um, in terms of Web3 and uh, distributed ledger technology, smart contracts, you know, fintech in general, the Caribbean is open to the world, it's ready to trade. So we're, we are getting there. It's not as aggressive, but it's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like they were making sort of active movements to, to get to that stage or was it was it a lot of talk then you felt like you know nothing was really being achieved I mean how did you feel when you left that that conference I I felt that there's active movement mm. because you uh like for example we had so I practice in Trinidad and Tobago yeah. and um in Trinidad and Tobago you had uh, companies uh, registered as EMIs, is it electronic money institutions? Sorry, I'm not quite sure about the uh, abbreviations, but it's uh, it's something to do with that. And um, you have all, uh, an electronic money, money service business, sorry. So um, you, you have this fintech and financial inclusion aspect of things coming up in the islands. And in Bahamas, for example, they have their own CBDC. And it was one of the countries in the world to have, um, one of the first countries in the world, actually, to have their own CBDC. So you can see the islands are, are moving forward. And uh, you have islands like the BVI, who are coming up with legislation, Antigua and Barbuda, Anguilla. You know, you have things bubbling. Okay. You know, it's not probably by being in the UK, uh, people might not understand what's going on in the islands because in the UK, people are busy also. And in the EU, like there's the MICA uh, regulations, mm. people are busy trying to sort out their own jurisdictions when it comes to blockchain and Web3. But the the islands are also quite proactive. And I'm, I'm proud to say that there's conversations across the table and interactions uh, between practitioners from the islands and from the major jurisdictions. So, and you know, all this uh, com uh, camaraderie, let's say for example, you and I, yeah. you know, you've been in the UK, I've been in Trinidad and we've been writing and working together. And now we are doing this podcast together. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really fantastic and it feels positive and encouraging. Yeah, that, that that's yeah. great. I think that because a lot of the cases originally came out of, you know, as I say, the UK and the US, I guess it's a feeling that the Caribbean countries then are following suit. Right. That's the feeling, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is the feeling. And uh, it, it's fantastic because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about investor and consumer protection because you have lots of rug pulls going on, you know, with the initial coin offerings mm. and DAOs. And, you know, there's so many things like this, Arena is very fast paced. So the consumers and investors have really been struggling because if, if your assets are, um, are stolen, for example, what sort of legal recourse will you have? Was exactly, that's the, that's the fight yeah, I'm literally trying that, to, that's, that's that. the marketing I'm trying to do. Literally, that's that. It can be done. Exactly. So th this is, it's, it's a brilliant time and we're, we're in early days, as they say. So <laughs> yeah. let's see how it goes. And do you think there'll be adoption in the Caribbean of crypto assets? I think moving forward, let's, let's not just limit it to um, crypto assets. Let's, let's say in terms of um, financial technology, in, uh, you know, it could be um, 
digital money. Like in, in Kenya, there's a platform called M-Pesa. Okay. People are trying to embrace such platforms. With 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 crypto assets, the, there has been lots of negative press. Yeah, a lot, yeah. So despite there being positive attributes of crypto assets, uh, um, you know, inclusivity, uh, you know, like accessibility as well, uh, things like fundraising, let's say, for example, in the UK crisis, you saw there's lots of fundraising mm -hmm. to help Ukraine using uh, crypto. Yeah. Yeah. So for every good thing, there's a negative thing that comes and tarnishes the whole uh, uh, the whole image or agenda. Mm. But I, I think the uptake is there and there are strong communities within the islands because I've met a few people in, in, in Trinidad and from the BVI and we've, we've had these conversations and these positive movements actually. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so moving on to sort of thinking about you and your studying, I mean, you're a lawyer, you're now studying. Mm -hmm. Can you explain in layman's terms what application of blockchain ledgers and smart contracts <laughs> in enhancing data integrity, transparency in public procurement? What, is, what does that mean? Okay, so this is the thing, yeah? A blockchain ledger is a distributed ledger across various nodes, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's a peer-to-peer -peer network and the, it eliminates the aspect of a single point of failure. When you look at public procurement, the data is held by a central authority. By using blockchain, depending on the sort of permissions the blockchain system has, let's say if it's a public pro procurement system, it will be a public permission system depending. So public permission means you have to have some, the system administrator has to give you some rights to access some bits and bobs of data. But it takes away the aspects of if, let's say, HMRC is hacked and all the documents are, you know, ransomware and all the shebang that happens in such things, we are trying to eliminate that. We're also trying to eliminate people coming to um, change the information on records. Because right now, if you're using Excel and the records can be changed, and get this right, yeah? There's lots of heated uh, conversation on uh, expert, com and co expert commentary mm. on the tamper resistance aspect of blockchains. So they could be subverted when you reach a 51% attack or if someone uh, brute forces the system, okay? But is, is, but, are you testing this then? Is that what the PhD is about? It's yes. About testing the integrity of those systems so that when you're making procurement contracts, they work in a way that you want them to. Yes. And it increases. So it 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 um so it's it's not 100 percent foolproof. Yeah. We're just trying to say it enhances. So having a blockchain system. You do put enhance to be fair in the title. Right. So. Yeah. It enhances. <laughs> yeah, it enhances. So it. We're not saying it's a um, silver bullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not saying that. Yeah. We're saying it's better than having what right now is called the OCDS. Mm -hmm. It's a centralized system. So if somebody hacks that system, it goes down. But when it's a blockchain, it's distributed across various nodes and there's different peers accessing the information in real time. And instead of the data movement, let's say in uh, bidding stages, instead of the data going 
from west to east, you know, it it's 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 kind of circular. Yeah. So everybody gets so everybody the gets the same data yeah. at the same time. Okay. And it it depends, and it also works. Oh, sorry, let me just have a sip of water. No, no problem at all. And you're also using smart contracts that will execute information based on when some parameters are met. So if then else, if this is satisfied, then this happens. Yeah. Otherwise, this does not. So you're automating the process. Right, okay. And it makes the systems faster. So it's actually just making the whole, <coughs> the whole uh, process more efficient. Exactly. So we're not saying that blockchains are coming in to save the world. Mm. We're just saying some things will be better having a sprinkle of blockchain on it. Yeah. You know, and the blockchains and the smart contracts, uh, they rely on oracles to feed them with accurate information. So at some point, so rubbish in, rubbish out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are hoping the data that's being input is not rubbish. <laughs> Where are you getting your data sets from? Like, how does it work? That's a bit technical. For me, I understand it from a legal okay. aspect and a bit of like, um, what do you call it? High level technical. Bird's eye view type stuff. But I'm sure you're going to have a guest before or after me who will have that detailed aspect to explain how the, the data sets are gotten. But the data sets come from different places. Right. Okay. Like the, the oracles collect the data. You could use uh, smart readers, uh, IoT devices. Like there's so many places where the data could be collected from. Yeah. So you have to get the data. It has to be processed. You want clean, accurate data. And that's where probably um, when the data is fed using artificial intelligence as well, you're looking at, well, and again, you see with law, there's never an obvious argument. You'll Some people will always say, it's not obvious, it's not that straightforward. Mm -hmm. And I hear you, <laughs> I hear you. But then again, we are just saying this enhances and there's ways that we are still trying to understand this technology. Yeah, it's PhD, you're you pushing see, the boundaries, right? It's yes. not as if you have all the answers. You yes, to, exactly. Stress test. Yeah, and it's just a unique contribution to say, yeah, this is out there, so why why not? Yeah. Why not test this knowledge and why not try this for the 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 benefit of the public? Yeah. Yeah. So why is it that you're studying? Because you've obviously a successful barrister and you're coming back to study, especially in 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 this sort of data integrity. How do they complement each other? Right. So I've moved my practice. So I'm predominantly a um, civil and commercial barrister in Trinidad. So I do lots of uh, intellectual property matters and um, uh, confidence, like breaches of confidence and mm. all that sort of stuff. And with the blockchain stuff, there's, uh, there's interactions between the uh, GDPR as well. Right. You know? And I've been advising startups and institutions, government institutions here and there, and you know, uh, private clients who want to set up um, blockchain-enabled companies, or who want to uh, raise funds. You know, um, decentralized finance is big right now, and there's different avenues of raising funds using decentralized finance, like DAOs and all, all those kind of things. So. I'm 
mostly focused now on the regulatory re, uh, regulatory compliance aspect of things in terms of practice. So in terms of my work at, at uni, it's yeah. basically applying my everyday life in practice in an academic way. Okay. So for example, the paper we wrote on uh, DAOs. Which is the next question. Yeah, which is the next. Okay, <laughs> I'll wait for that question so that they go in well. No, it's no problem at all. I mean, this is a good segue into it, right? So right. we've written some papers together. You've definitely done more of the work than me for sure, but mm -hmm. it's, it, it's been great. Maybe you want to tell people a little bit about some of the papers you've written. So there was one on decentralized autonomous organizations. Like, tell me a little bit about that. How did that come around? Why did you want to write about it? Right. So corporate governance as it is, is evolving mm -hmm. and we have decentralized autonomous organizations now aka DAOs and DAOs are basically a cluster of smart contracts so they enable people who want to come and form new new age institutions uh, innovative institutions so if you have an agenda let's say we want to buy the Bank of England so we come up with a DAO that um, has this objective in mind and you have um, a vote depending on the kind of um, investment you've put in it. Yeah. Okay. So you buy your investment into the DAO and it grants you uh, governance in terms of um, proposals, uh, voting on proposals, voting on uh, updating the protocol and so many other things right? decision making basically. decision making yeah. yeah and it it takes away like you don't have to have um you don't have to be a ceo or whoever or whoever to be part of that entity it takes away all that just like how i was telling you the technological aspect of legal practice right now has taken away let's say i i don't have to be a barrister of 30 years practice and i respect again with all due respect <laughs> I respect that, but we are in a day and age where it's about your intellectual capacity. Yeah. We are all learning this technology now. We're all at ground zero. Right? We so are all at ground zero. Leveling. We're all on the same playing field. Exactly. No one has more goodwill than anyone else in this. We're all learning. Literally. From the start. Yes. So this is what this technology is doing. So it's making corporate governance, it's changing the face of corporate governance. Mm. So from top down, to like streamlined, it cuts across. So depending on uh, what um, money you've invested in, in it, in it, it allows you to um, to make decisions in the entity. Yeah. Some of the problems that we have are things like, uh, you know, if 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 your investment is not that big, yeah, your decision is also not. What is like having as, a small amount of equity in a company, right? Where you can't make exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, one of the big challenges I was talking about this with a friend recently is how do you go around suing a DAO because there's not necessarily a person there to go and sue. Exactly. Then you had a case earlier in the year in America whereby a DAO was sued. It was the Uki protocol. B, B, yeah, the BZX yeah. DAO case. Yeah. And they ended up going after the the main token holders. Right. So we're finding, I suppose, solutions to new problems. Right. Because we would have been suing essentially a protocol. Literally. And now all of a sudden, 
individuals who own those governance tokens are liable. Yes. So I, I, it could go in any different direction. And I, I, I think it's worth just sort of emphasizing how DAOs and tokenization right. are becoming quite prevalent in, in sort of corporate governance generally. Right. And liability is, is a big thing because what DAOs are supposed to be doing, they're supposed to take care of the um, agent, principal agent conundrum, the principal agent problem. So... It, it, it's, it's interesting, but the aspect of liability, but there was a case in the UK as well. What is it called? The tulip trading case? Yeah. That was talking about um, uh, liability of the- um, The designers. The, the developers yeah. team. And um, it, it, it's, it's interesting when you read these things. And these are things that probably 10 years ago, no one would be thinking that you're going to court to argue about such computational aspects of law. So, um, the conclusion of the paper is this. DAOs are literally the future of corporate governance. Yeah. They're not an illusion. Yeah. You know, because there is uptake. People will use them. People will use them. I mean, them. you and people I are, tax, are using them. People use them, yeah. yeah. I, I suppose you and I are tax people, but I guess there are certain tax benefits or, or tax issues with them as well. Yeah. And that may be a reason why people are uh, sort of uptaking on them. But I think you're right. Ultimately, people will be using them because they are a protocol. Right. So it ideally means that a lot of the, the sort of human issues that we have by running companies fall away. Exactly. And it depends on also how you uh, wrap the DAO. Hmm. So depending on the jurisdiction, you could wrap it up as a, um, uh, what do you call it? A non-benefit, uh, a, a not-for-profit organization. Yeah. And uh, it could be a trust. It could be so many different things. It really depends on the activity of the particular DAO. Yeah. And when mentioning DAOs, it's always important to go back to see the DAO case itself where uh, uh, was it slock.it, they were coming up with a system of, um, they, were, they were raising funds through an ICO. And I, I, I can't remember the facts exactly, but it's in our paper. So we'll share the link to our paper. Sure. Yeah, and um, essentially after funds were raised, the system was hacked. Yeah. And for the system to be um, salvaged, decision makers, who had the uh, who had higher voting capability yeah. said the system had to be forked so it goes like to say is 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 uh this blockchain world is it really decentralized and tamper resistant yeah. and free you know because if such governance decisions can still be made by a few people is it um you know, is is it really in the spirit of the most decentralization? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's the gist of this paper and looking at the potential of having DAOs for future governance. So, if the area is cleaned up, and every day is a learning experience, and in the Web three world, there's lots of learning every day, mm. and it's going to improve. And in the next five or so years, the face of everything is going to have changed. Yeah. Okay. And obviously you're, you're dealing a lot in, in academics at the moment. I mean, is blockchain really being considered in academics? I mean, it didn't start in an academic way. It started um, on its own with, with Bitcoin. And now right. all of a sudden, I think it seems to be sort of infiltrating education. I mean, have you seen that? Right. So I'm a bit 
disappointed. Right. To say the least is, you know, when you're on your professional networks like LinkedIn and your network is based around people who talk about this thing every day, you tend to bury your head in the sand thinking everybody knows about this. Mm -hmm. But even at high levels of academia, like if you're talking to people, let's say at the um, universities or uh, you're talking to students at uni and you're telling, like for example, me telling them what I'm doing, people are like, what's, what's, what's blockchain? Mm. I'm like, this is the technology underpinning Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, you know, so people understand or think they understand what cryptocurrencies are, mm. but they're not interested in the other functionalities of blockchain and so they, what it they, can do. They read Bitcoin crashes, they read Ether crashes. And they think and blockchain they freak out. is done. They think that's blockchain. They think that's blockchain. They don't understand that there are the assets on the blockchain and the underlying technology. And, and Matt, you can see that on LinkedIn as well. Mm. You get some commentary on LinkedIn and you're like, why are people saying this? It's it's not the blockchain. Yeah. It's that protocol. Yeah. And it's because the developers of that protocol are shady or they didn't do their due diligence, you know? So it's not the blockchain. Yeah. And again, there are people who say blockchain is not be all and all, but it enhances some things like supply chain tracking and supply chain management. Things like NFTs, the non-fungibility yeah. uh, aspect of uh, NFTs. Oh, and we have a new paper coming up on this as well. Yeah. The regulation of NFTs, whether it's um, a novel technology, whether it's, it's, it's worth the salt or whether it's not. So there's arguments around that. Apparently, uh, there's commentary that suggests it's used for money laundering and wash trading. Yeah. But the figures as well, they're, they're really minute. And you can't really say for certain that NFTs are assisting or are a conduit to crime. Well, are these like academic points or are these going to get found out of the industry? Because I know that there are legal arguments to say that NFTs weren't originally considered as property under AA because NFTs didn't exist at that point. Right. In that respect, the law is pushing ahead or at least pushing the boundaries on what the definitions of certain assets are. Right. But is academics doing anything? I guess, so like we writing these papers, you and I and Sarah and Aris mm. writing these papers, we are trying to push that envelope and suggest to people from, a, again, a theoretic, exploratory and a philosophical point, yeah. we are trying to suggest such things. Mm. But if you look at the, um, what's, what's, uh, what's that case? Um, Lavinia Osborne. Yeah. The judge, again, we can't say definitively that he said he applied the reasoning in AA persons. Yeah. Again, Matt, woo -boo. but. It could be, it's safe to say that that reasoning was applied yeah. because she, uh, the, the, the propriety injunction and the freezing order and the bunker's trust orders, they were applied in accordance to the reasoning in AA. So we, we can safely assume, and as practitioners and academics, our reasoning and our thinking is not capped. So we cannot say because it did not say, it does not say. We have the autonomy to say it could be. 
And this is where good lawyers and good judges come about, like people like Lord Denning, they were willing to push the envelope mm. and suggest things in such a way that gets you thinking. So it's about applying what we already know. Yes. And then I suppose you as an academic and a lawyer using both of those hats. Yes. To push the boundaries a little bit. Right. And to see if some of it sticks. Right. Because if you don't do it, like in court, if you don't ask for interest, you don't get it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so what can we be doing better? I mean, bearing in mind both of the hats that you're wearing or, or the industry as a whole, what, in your opinion, could we all be doing better to make sure that people feel more comfortable with blockchain tech? with crypto assets, what can we do? Consumer and investor awareness and having goodwill with the agencies, um, the regulatory agencies, the FCA here in the UK, yeah. the SEC in the America, the, you know, all those offices, they need to come about and say, we understand that there's this digital revolution happening. Yeah. We're not going to fight it. We are going to safe, make safeguards. Because if we don't make safeguards, the consumers and investors will get burned. But does that not stifle innovation? I mean, you've got the, the sanctions, I think, again, in America against the tornado cash. And people said that actually that's good because it, it protects consumers on the basis that the de-anonymization um, is, is sort of overturned. But then others say, well, actually, the whole point of all of this- Was privacy. Was, exactly. Right. right. So there's got to be a balance struck between uh, privacy and the actual mechanics of, of, of blockchain or, or in crypto assets. Right. So blockchains are supposed to bring about transparency. And uh, the mixing and tumbling services, they're about privacy. Blockchain in its own, it's supposed to be a pseudonymous technology. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to provide that paper trail, but without fully identifying you. Yeah, it's, it's an anonymous an paper individual. trail, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what I'm saying is this, without regulatory protection, it's going to be banana republic. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. But also let's not strangle everything with too much regulation. I will uh, quote what the Prime Minister of Barbados said at FinTech uh, Islands, Barbados. It has to be proportionate. Yeah. The regulation has to be proportionate to the risk. And the agencies have to be interested in what technology is going on, is, is developing out there. It's stifling it versus letting it be free, right? Yeah. It's, and and like it's, it's providing a protection at the same time as making sure that you don't stifle the technology that underlies that. Right. So let's say a, a better word will be facilitating it. Okay. Instead of strangling it, facilitate it and not just give it carte blanche and say, you all go do what you want to do. Yeah, push it in the right direction. Yeah, push right. it in the right direction. Just as it's being done for banks and, you know, other financial institutions, but even they run amok. Yeah, 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 for sure. So it's just about trying to see where the balance lies. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's tough because, I mean, I, I did some work where I was representing a Premier League football club. Right. And they were, they were using uh, tokens or they were, they were tokenizing, uh, selling assets. Right. Um, 
which were essentially just fan tokens. Right. And there was nothing security token about it. Right. And the FCA uh, wrote to the football club and said uh, that they're providing security tokens and how dare they. Right. And it just gave the sense that the, the authorities didn't really know what the rules were or didn't really follow their own rules. Right. And it was just, it was just surprising to see a regulator not really understand its own guidance. Right. So maybe it's about encouraging um, encouragement from right. um, uh, the authorities, but at the same time, they need to sort of follow their own rules. Right. They need to understand what's going on. And maybe Barbados is doing that. Right. And they, the, the authorities need to invest in training as well. They need to train their people. Yeah. Because this technology is evolving. So you can't use old tricks on a new dog. Mm -hmm. You need to update your tricks and see, okay, this happens like this, this happens like that. Things like money laundering, wash trading, they've been there before, no doubt. And in crypto, it's a small percentage in comparison to the world, e exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So that lack of understanding is what people are using all over the press to say, Oh, blockchain crypto is so evil. It does this, you know, Mount Gox, you know, Silk yeah, Road, yeah. all that. You know, but okay, fine. Forget that. Let's move on. Well, I suppose it's like this happened. We've learned from it. We're now going to react to that. Right. And we're going to push things in the right direction. Right. Yeah. So are we, look at it like a car. Are we going to have advancements in cars or mobile phone technology? Or are we going to go back to the days of, you know, the, the, the rotary the, phones, the, the, yeah. the water phones yeah, and yeah. telephone boots, you know, like it, technology has its where it's its place in modern society. It's inevitable. They yeah, just it's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it's just about welfare and security of the citizens. No, fair enough. I think yeah. that's all good points. So you're very switched on with all of this. Mm -hmm. What project is really exciting you at the moment? Right now, I'm really uh, engrossed in my PhD writing. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I suppose that is a project. Yeah. For yeah that was a good that, answer. That's, that, that's, that's the biggest project going on for me right now. And this, according to uh, my professor, yeah. it has to be the best, 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 best piece of work I've ever done. So you've got to get your head down and focus on so you. So I'm focusing on that um, to make it the best, best, best piece of work I've ever done. But still, uh, alongside that, I'm still doing my private practice in Trinidad. And um, I'm advising startups on um, fundraising, yeah. decentralized governance. I'm involved in writing projects as well. Because you also just can't seclude yourself from what's happening. This space is very fast. You have to be with people and have your ear on the ground to know what's going on, you know? And um, always just be on top of things. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair enough. And if you've got your PhD to do, go focus, <laughs> go change the world, push the boundaries doing that. that. That's fair. Right. So what's your plan? And what advice would you give to people who want to get into this industry, especially people with your background? Right. So I would just say is have a genuine interest hmm. and that interest, turn it into a passion and follow it. Follow it up. Like it sounds sort of cliche, but if you really want it, you'll pursue it. Yeah. This is something that I've been looking at 
with a you know with a telescope yeah you know from 2016 2017 and finally right now i'm sitting doing it in practice both in practice and in academics yeah so just just feel like you want to change something you want to do something positive for the world you want to meet positive people who are looking at the same in the same direction with you and wanting to change the world and you know like matt you go around the world doing conferences like why do you do those conferences yeah well you want to get yourself out there and educate people and when when you talk to people in the crowd they they just come away going wow, we didn't know a lot of that stuff. Right. So, so it's all about education. And I think if you want to get into this space, it's not to be intimidated by how much information is out there. Right. I certainly can't pretend to know most things purely right. because it's technical and it's not my background. But, right. but what I can do is, is pick a lane in it and get out there, educate and learn. Right. And, and it's huge. So for example, at uni, I've come across... Um, I've made friends with a few people. So there's like a girl doing blockchain and insolvency law. There's a girl focused on uh, copyrights and, and NFT for her, um, NFT breaching copyrights and mm. all that for her research. And um, there's um, fashion using NFTs and blockchain. It's It's literally interesting. And coming across people who are doing similar but not same, it goes to show you that this is a promising field. Yeah. And luckily, the UK government is one of those governments that supports innovation. It might not be as, because we're still waiting for Rishi Sunak's NFT. <laughs> <laughs> we're still waiting for that. Yeah. But at least it shows a bit of, um, you know. Forward thinking, right? For, Get forward thinking. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's faster countries out there. I don't want to start a global war, but yeah. there's other countries out there. But we are lucky to be in a jurisdiction that identifies and recognizes that innovation is 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 part of it, and it I, I realizes and recognizes that the universities are part of that change, uh, consultation groups are part of that change, lawyers who are computational are part of that change, and it tries to bring them all together to make these changes more forward. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's probably right. And look, I look forward to more of your papers. I look forward to what you do with your PhD. And I follow you very closely and we, we speak a lot. So I, yeah. I, thank you very much for coming along. Thank you so much, Matt. Pleasure, thank you. I'm entirely grateful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins, production support by Jake Key, and music by Luke Caring.